welcome to the Chris Kit 42 podcast that talks about life, the universe and everything. Episode 2 of Season 3, welcome back. This episode, I thought I'd take you on a walking tour of one of my favourite cities of the world. But before I start all that, what have I been up to? Still in the desert there, lots of sandstorms rumbling around this week. The temperature's dropped, oh my goodness, what's going on? It's about 10 degrees here, which is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit for those of you in the colonies. But keeping myself amused, I've been watching the new Fraggle Rock show. Fantastic. Back to the Rock. It's a really good remake of the... Well, it's a reboot of the original Fraggle Rock. I know it's been tried a couple of times with virtual versions of it or Zoom versions, but I never really watched them. I didn't really care for them. But the new version is fantastic. It's like taking the original Fraggle Rock and just upgrading it. The puppetry is amazing, the songs are fantastic. It's kept that original vibe to it, but then modernised it as well. It's just an easy show, fun for all the family. Give it a look, some fantastic songs in there. The trash heap has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the Muppet Rats every time. What else have I been watching to amuse myself? Well, there's another series I discovered recently, the British version of Ghosts. Three seasons and a Christmas special. Binged watched those last week. Fantastic. Again, good gentle humour, very British humour, a bit adult, a bit childish, a bit of fun for everybody there as well, so check out Ghosts. I finished season two of Atlanta, the adventures of Paperboy and Earn again. Now season two is just completely off the wall compared to season one. Not so much story as season one, but some very, very quirky moments in that. I did enjoy that very, very much. Another Crisket recommendation, Atlanta. Another new season, I've got one of my other guilty pleasures. BattleBots. This is the American version because in the UK it's called Robot Wars. I remember many years ago going to see it in London. Fantastic. Plenty of carnage as machines batter each other. Fantastic. And the nerds at the wheel are all fantastic too. How they build these things I would never know. Another more gentle program I've been watching, Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing. Now apparently this has done a lot for men's health this program, but basically it's two old guys, very funny guys, Bob Mortimer of Reeves and Mortimer fame and Paul Whitehouse from the Fast Show fame in the 90s I guess but they're very funny very gentle they go fishing Bob Mortimer can't fish Paul Whitehouse can they cook a bit they drink a bit they shoot the shit a bit very easy very nice way to spend about 30 to 40 minutes of your time other TV I've been watching yes it's been that kind of time recently catching up on TV shows I watched the new season of F is for Family the Bob Bob Burr Bill Burr the Bill Burr show again not one for the children but that was season 5 I believe Again, more fun. It's just very, very funny for me. Very adult. You've got to be careful. I watched it on a flight and then I realised people could be watching over my shoulder. And some of the animation is a little risque to say the least. Let's get back to family things. The new Spider-Man movie. I finally got to go to the cinema after a two-year wait. And it was all I could want from a cinema experience and a Spider-Man movie. Fantastic. A big blockbuster movie. I've heard it pretty much said that it's Spider-Man the Ride the movie as in the ride from Universal Islands of Adventure, because all of the characters appear in it. Oh, no spoilers though. I won't do any spoilers. Other movies I've watched, the new Ghostbusters reboot. Fairly enjoyable. I didn't think that was quite as strong as some people had suggested. Nice to see some of the old characters back, but it did maintain the ethos of the original Ghostbusters for me, especially having Zool there and and various dogs rampaging around. (laughs) One of the funniest movies I've actually watched recently was the animated Ron's Gone Wrong, really really funny movie it's very much a swipe almost 
at modern technology and how it overruns our life and people are adamant they must have the latest technology, the latest iPhone, the latest of everything. And this is a good hark back to something a bit more gentler. I didn't expect this to be a TV review show or a movie show, but what else? The Beatles Get Back by Peter Jackson. I've not finished that yet, but I've watched the first instalment of the three. It's fantastic. Again, I've heard it's had mixed reviews, but for me, you're basically a fly on the wall for the Beatles creating their last music. The final days of the Beatles, in London, in a studio, it's a bit barren really, and there's this strange Japanese lady who keeps interrupting and warbling away quite a lot. Fortunately, they turned her down quite a bit and left her to her knitting. But a must watch if you're a Beatles fan, or even just a fan of music anyway. Interestingly enough, I think I've mentioned this before, did you know the Beatles actually officially split at the Polynesian Resort at Disney World? Yes. John Lennon was in room 1650-1650, I think. I visited that room as a homage recently, and he received the papers to say the Beatles were officially split while he was staying there, and he signed the papers there. So there, a bit of Disney Beatles trivia for you. <laughs> anyway, it's enough TV. What have I been reading? I've read a book, first time in a while. I read DJ Gellner's Jesus Was a Time Traveller. Now, this is not a religious book. It's not too heavy on the science. It's a time travel book. As you know, I like my time travel stories. But this is a very interesting take on time travel. Basically, it resolved that whatever you do doesn't matter anyway, you can't change it. And Jesus was a time traveller. I won't spoil it. Worth a read. Some good humour. Bit dark in places, but an easy read. And I'm now onto the sequel, actually. But I won't tell you what that's called because it was spoiler original. Again, all this unscripted podcasting is very, very off the wall. What have I been listening to? Listening to, well, I watched the Dear Evan Hansen movie on the flight back to Oman recently and really thoroughly enjoyed that and I've been listening to the actual factual music from the stage show and a few songs that were missed out of the movie. A great listen, definitely worth a look. I've been revisiting one of my old movies themes list as well on Spotify. Movie themes from such movies as Star Wars, Superman, Star Trek, Indiana Jones, all of those obviously instantly recognisable as classics but when you listen to them in their entirety some really good pieces of classical music. Well, not classical music, orchestral music, there you go. Worth a listen for sure. I've even started playing games again recently. I downloaded the new God of War for my PC. That's helped waste a few hours and smash a few skulls in. And I even revisited classics on my iPhone. Oh my goodness, iPhone games are now becoming classics. The World of Goo, really good physics game. I like my little puzzle games just to while away time when I'm traveling. And I also completed Where's My Water and the second Where's My Water. I can't remember what that's called, probably Where's My Water 2. The adventures of Swampy and his friends and Cranky. And again, it's a good directing water into pipes and that's about it really. It's just good fun. Both good games and I think they're actually now 10 years old at least. Oh my goodness, where's the time going? Talking of travel, as I said, I'm in the desert lair at the moment, but I'll soon be escaping. But where am I going? Well, that will be confirmed soon. Hopefully by the time I finish recording this podcast, as I'm not entirely sure myself yet. But who knows where it could be? Who knows what I could be doing? I'll keep you posted. Okay, before I start, don't forget to visit the Criscuit YouTube channel. I'm regularly posting new content down there. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe to both the YouTube channel and this podcast. Actually, I've put some clips from the new Fraggles, the new Fraggle Rock, Back to the Rock on there as well. The intro and a couple of songs seem to be fairly popular, so take, check them out too. A little bit of a glimpse of the series. It's very much worth watching. It's a bit of my... Uh, Guilty pleasure at the moment watching all of those again and again. And revisiting some of the old Fraggle Rock as well. Out of interest, the puppetry as I said is amazing. Sprocket for me is a standout puppet. In the new one, 
and the crab is very funny in episode 2. That's all I can say. Okay, so let's move on. I'm going to take you on a walking tour of one of my favourite cities in the world. Now I recorded this while I was there. I've worked and lived there. I've also spent a lot of time being a tourist there. I think it's a city that I know well and also know the complete history of in some detail. I'm talking about London, the capital of England. And as I said, for me, one of the greatest cities on earth. This is a walking tour I've done many times myself and also points out some of the lesser known facts about the big smoke as it's known, although it's a considerably cleaner city these days, particularly compared to the London of Charles Dickens. Actually, I have a complete episode ready for all about Charles Dickens as London. More in that in about three or four episodes time. Okay, let's head on a journey to the banks of the Thames and start the walking tour at an ideal landmark to meet and one that's known around the world. I'm going to take you to start with to Trafalgar Square. So here we are, we're in London. We're at Trafalgar Square. Lots of traffic around, as you can probably hear. Hopefully I won't I'll have to dance around the red buses and the black cabs racing around. There's lots of tourists around, we're all coming back. But Trafalgar Square, instantly recognisable, with the statue of the famous fishmonger Horatio Haddock Nelson atop his famous column, with the four lions, Levi, Duke, Orby and Lawrence at his feet. Now this column was erected after his death in 1853, and in honour of Horatio Nelson's actions during the Great Haddock Famine, of 1850, hence the name Haddock Nelson, in which Haddock Nelson himself was the saviour of fish and chip shops throughout London, maintaining a ration supply of smoked finny, a cockney favourite, against great adversity. However, ever the adventurer, Haddock apparently died attempting the world's first ever bungee jump off the 70-foot bridge at Putney. He had tied several bungee cords together, strapped himself on securely, tied the other end to the bridge and jumped confident in the knowledge that he carefully measured out the bungee's total length, just under 70 foot. Of course, what Nelson had forgotten was the bungee cords stretch. For the eagle-eyed among you, if you look closely at the statue, you can see him tucking a smoked haddock into his tunic. And this was to avoid discovery during a famous clandestine mission to deliver the scarce piscatorial delight to Buckingham Palace for the monarch at the time, Queen Victoria. And she was quite partial to a smashing bit of finny for her tea. I mentioned the lions. The four fountains in the square are a grand feature that was added in November of 1872 and this was to allow visiting Scotland football fans to bathe before heading to Wembley for the Calcutta Cup game with England. Again, a little known detail can be spotted on the edge of the fountains. Look very closely for this as it's adorned with soap dishes. Originally they had the initials VR for Victoria Regina, the monarch at the time, but these are updated at the coronation of each monarch. They are currently displaying ER, Elizabeth Regina. Not many people spot these. And this is what I'm going to give you throughout this tour. How to look at life in London like a real Londoner. And you can then point these out to your friends too. There are also the mermaids on the fountains. But these, I don't really agree with. They were added at a later date due to a, a lucrative sponsorship deal with Starbucks. Okay, that's Trafalgar Square for you. I'm going to keep this tour short and sweet and keep you on your feet. Oh, that rhymes. That's very good. But this is my London. And a real London. It's time to walk through Admiralty Arch for a stroll up the Mall. Okay, as we head towards the Mall, I see in front of me the quintuple arches of Admiralty Arch. And they were put in place and built to celebrate the five tenets of the Royal Navy. 
five tenets you ask what are they they're honor integrity rum bum and backy and not always in that order the fourth arch rum is paid homage to by the recently renamed cockspur street if you look to it's just to the right there it is just to the right you can see it and that was after the admiralty gained the patronage of cockspur rum another lucrative sponsorship deal for the navy the visual address of the arch now being 130 cockspur street after the barbadian overproof beverage Sadly though, Cockspur couldn't persuade the Crown to replace the Lion and Unicorn Royal Heraldry on the Arch with the Cock and Unicorn. That's actually the subject of an ongoing legal battle. The Marl itself is actually named after Patrick Archibald Marl, the famous Irish Tarmacadam purveyor who, as legend goes, was passing Buckingham Palace in the summer of 1954 and spotted a gin-infused Queen Mother lounging on the East Front balcony eating a kebab. You'll see the actual balcony as you approach Buckingham Palace. And the actual kebab shop that she used was called Abracababra Kebabs by royal appointment and that can still be found in Victoria and is still delivering the carved elephant's foot delicacy to the gentry of London to this day. Anyway, legend has it that Patrick sounded up to Her Majesty and asked, Hey your love, I've got a few spare loads after working up west. Do you want us to tarmac your drive? We could do you a good deal. And the rest as they say is history. Sadly though the workmanship was not up to scratch and the mall as it is today was relayed in the October of 1954 after the Queen Mother received a severe berating from her daughter Lilibeth and told them never to accept offers from those thieving bastards again. Another building of interest as you pass through onto the mall is the disagreeable looking bunker that is the Admiralty Citadel. On your left as your Facebook house this was once described by Prince Charles as a monstrous carbuncle, but the Jugged Royal can often be seen visiting the Citadel which is home to the Royal Navy Glee Club. Okay, Buckingham Palace stretches out in front of us. And Buckingham Palace, originally built in 1703 by the architect Gottlieb Windsnatch. This was the house of Duke Buckingham, the much regaled and noted 18th century jazz saxophonist. You can actually find some of his recordings on YouTube and Spotify, and he was a regular at the Royal Navy Glee Club and also at Wilberforce Scots on Greek Street in Soho, and there were the haunts of anyone who was anyone in 18th century social circles. And at these locations one could imbibe the popular Georgian era drinks, such as a carrot beer, a birch wine, or a whip syllabub libation, which was a relative to the posset, that's hot milk curdled with wine or ale that was popular in medieval times. In later years the palace was actually purchased from Buckingham, as he had fallen on hard times, and it was taken over by Prince Edward, Queen Victoria's father. He was a well-known philanthropist, but enjoyed the simple things in life, and could often be seen of a weekend taking a young Victoria for a bag of whelks down at Billingsgate or Catherine's Dock of a Sunday morning, or about that location later. This was a pastime the young Queen would continue up until her later years, although it was said that Albert, her husband, was more of a winkle man. From the palace we head almost parallel to the Mall along St James's Park. St James, the patron saint of swans, and on to Birdcage Walk. here I am I'm now on Birdcage Walk. This runs east-west as a continuation of Great George Street that's from the crossroads with Horse Guards Road where you'll find volunteer soldiers guarding horses every day and Story's Gate named after the national record holding powerlifter Christopher Story 1981. You also see the Guild of Assassins building on your left and the Ministry of Silly Walks on the northeast corner. You may have seen that featured in the Monty Python show an actual factual place in London just off Birdcage Walk. Now where did the name Birdcage come from you ask? Well Queen Victoria again was a great lover of canaries and that's where the name came from. Actually it was rather from the pet shop in Tooting that supplied the avian pets 
Albert H. Birdcage and Sons, on Tutterdown Street in Tooting. Easy for you to say. Now we'll keep heading east, as our next stop is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the United Kingdom. We're moving on to Westminster Abbey. As I said, one of the most popular tourist destinations in the United Kingdom, I'm now standing at the front of Westminster Abbey. This gothic architectural wonder, allegedly built in 960 AD, but however in 1974, carbon dating carried out by the Tamil Nadu Institute of Technology and Science TITS, discovered that it was actually a more recent development, as they found a section of masonry on the floor that was dated to 1932. The discovery was made by one Umbongo Apodurian who had sustained a major injury when he trod on a brick that he believed had fallen from the structure. He returned to the institute and ran many tests that could identify the brick had been manufactured in 1932, and the composition materials were native to Billund in the Jutland region of Denmark. Although that claim was never substantiated, it was later immortalised by the Baron Knight's song, Hello Mother, Hello Father. Although the claim was mixed up with Windsor Castle in the song, the line was from a young Prince Charles, Windsor Castle, full of history, full of antiques, full of mystery, there's a secret only I know, it was built in 1520 out of Lego. That's from the Jester Giggles album. Okay, let's head over the road to Westminster Palace, the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben. Okay, Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament often mixed up you see a little known fact that Big Ben is not the tower that you see in front of you. That's called St Cedric's Tower, named after Cedric the Lofty, the 13th century campanologist and occasional peeping Tom. The bell inside the tower was named after Benjamin Big Ben Broadbottom, who was well known for getting out a certain appendage while sitting in the Houses of Commons in Parliament. He was the member of Bellend near Lickyend, Stourbridge. Winston Churchill was often heard decrying, With the member for Bellend, please place his member and Bellend away from the speaker's chair and stop dipping it in my carrot beer. So you can astound your friends with your knowledge that the tower isn't Big Ben. Okay, let's cross over the River Thames or cross Westminster Bridge and continue our tour of London. And we're going to see one of the 19th century's marvels that still functions to this day, the London Eye. Ah, the London Eye, one of my favourite places to visit on the banks of the Thames. It was built for the Great Exhibition of 1851 and designed by the Royal Consort Prince Albert himself. Actually, with the right camera angle, you could actually fit the wheel onto the top of St Cedric's Tower in the background, thus giving it a Prince Albert of its own. The original wooden wheel was painted white to celebrate the dawn of the new millennium in 1999 but remains faithful to the original design by Sir Christopher Wren, who was ably assisted by the relatively unknown apprentice then, David Robert Jones, who helped create the original model of the Londinium Oculus Maximus, to use its original name. The name was actually later changed to the London Bird's Eye in 1968, after yet another sponsorship deal that this time included the renowned fish finger purveyor, Captain Bird's Eye. But in later years, he lost the rights to the company in a Zanzibar opium den, and when the bird section of the name sign was relocated to Battersea in the Great Storm of 1987, the name change remained due to the lack of financial backing, hence the London Eye. Young Mr Jones, the apprentice, used a tool that he had seen in a feature presentation at the Alamo at the local Odeon Cinema, and mimicked the knife used by the character Jim Bowie. 
He utilised this name for his Sunday lunchtime performances as a mime artist at the Whitechapel Working Men's Club. Talking of musical successes, a certain bridge that we are heading to now was named after four other famous sons of Whitechapel in East London. During the late 1950s, four working class lads from Dagenham formed the Gospel Quartet, Alan, Sidney, Dave and Arbuthnot. But due to a well-known supermarket change objecting to their name, they had to change from ASDA. Subsequently, Sydney became Barbara, Dave became Bella, and thus the quartet was saved and went on to have many hits around the southeast of England. And again, the rest, as they say, is history. A, B, B, and A were so popular they had a bridge in London named after one of their most famous hits. The song was all about the bar they all drank in during an ill-advised tour of Dublin, the Waterloo Pub. And this can be found on Baggett Street in Dublin, should you ever visit there. So as we pass Waterloo Bridge, we're going to stay on the south bank of the river where we pass the Oxo Tower. It is often said by the local gentlemen that they always like to try and take their lady friends up the Oxo Tower from time to time, particularly as a birthday treat. As one local girl was heard to say, when my boyfriend told me he wanted to take me up the Oxo Tower for my birthday, I was a bit hesitant at first because I didn't really think it was my scene. How wrong I was. I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a strain on the old back pocket and I admit I did feel a bit uncomfortable initially, but a couple of cocktails helped me relax and soon I was getting into it. We carried on well into the night. It was such a great experience and I really loved it. So much so that I won't let my boyfriend take me anywhere else now. So if anyone ever wants to take you up the Oxo Tower, just throw caution to the wind and go for it. One piece of advice though, if you've never been there before, you might be a bit put off by the surroundings. Sometimes you might find a few rather unattractive looking hangers on near the entrance, but my advice is to keep your eyes firmly on the front door and before you know it, you'll be safe inside. Now let's keep walking to the Tate Modern. The Tate Modern, still on the banks of the River Thames, is a world-renowned modern art gallery, but not a lot of people know about its past. The site was home to the royally appointed Scuttlebucket Joke and Novelty Company factory and their world-famous fake dog turds, with the advertising slogan, you won't find a better turd than a Scuttlebucket turd. Production was moved to the larger premises embarking due to the great fake dog poo fiasco of 1972, which saw production rise in the UK as the Chinese market had been maliciously tainted by varnished cat feces, which some actually deemed as a masterstroke of industrial espionage. Which to this day, the factory owner of Scuttlebucket Joke and Novelty Company, Sir Algernon Scuttlebucket, denies any part of. Actually, for more on Sir Algernon Scuttlebucket, check out the episode He Likes to Keep His Fire Engine Clean otherwise known as Season 1, Episode 20. But from fake dog turds, we continue along the Thames to another iconic London tourist spot, the Globe Theatre. And here I am, a little short walk down from the Ted Modern, and I'm at the Globe Theatre. And it's situated on what is originally the site of the Billy Shakes Pie and Mash Shop, and was often patronised by the many wherrymen who trawled the Thames and moored their boats up at the nearby pier, commonly known as Billy Shakes Pier. Having done so well in the pie and mash business, old Mr Shakes handed the reins over to his only son, William, who decided that treading the boards was more for him and resulted in the majestic theatre we see today. The pier may be long gone, but the name inevitably stuck, and thus the bard himself was born. And from the Globe Theatre, we'll cross over the Thames to the North Bank by the Millennium Bridge, or the Wobbly Bridge as it is known locally. That was the bridge that featured in the Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, 
and if you look closely on the underside of the bridge, you can actually see the various scorch marks from the plumes of the Death Eaters. The bridge has been repaired since Fenrir Greyback caused severe damage to the structure, but you can still make out the scratch marks. And after that, we'll head over the bridge, and after we cross the bridge, it's onwards up Peter's Hill to the next port of call, which is St Paul's Cathedral. Okay, slightly moved away from the Thames now, as I said we came up Peter's Hill. And the next port of call, St Paul's Cathedral. The cathedral was renamed in 1971, interestingly enough, after the former Beetle. The original structure of St Bernard's Thunderdome was built in 1946, completely out of Meccano. The surrounding cladded brickworks, or facade as it is known in the construction industry, was sent to England by the people of Abyssinia as a gift to the then King George VI. It was the occasion of his 45th birthday. The original Thunderdome can still be seen from all around London, and it's a significant landmark in the old city, instantly recognisable. It was also a regular haunt of the Queen Mother in the early 70s, as in her words, You can't beat a bit of cockfighting down the dome on a Saturday morning, a few bottles of Bombay Sapphire, and then down the den for a ramble with the Arsenal lot. Apparently she was well known down at Millwall, and a huge fan of the then inside right, Malcolm Slasher Morris the scourge of the Isle of Dogs. Now let's leave St Paul's behind us, as we are now on the home straight. Let's stroll down Cannon Street. As I step into Cannon Street, it must be noted that it's named not as often mistaken after Lancashire funny man and son of Oldham, Thomas Derbyshire, also known as Tommy Cannon, but it's actually named after the retired Welsh professional wrestler Thrabrinoir Brennockshire, who was known for his flamboyant, androgynous wrestling persona, exotic Adrian Street. The Cannon suffix was added later, once yet another lucrative sponsorship deal was struck by the City of London with a renowned Japanese optical and imaging company, hence Cannon Street. But the main reason to walk down the rather boring Cannon Street is to get to another iconic location in the square mile of the City of London. We're heading for Monument. As I've come down Cannon Street, I'm at Monument and you instantly see the phallic, fluted Doric column that was erected in 1671 with funding by Barnabas the Bewildered, Baron of Biggleswade, always easy to say, and it was in memorial and dedicated to all of the chickens lost in the Great Fire of London at the nearby street of Poultry. Barnabas was said to be, and I quote, Gatted, I do love a quick nip round the chicken cottage of an evening, after imbibing a few of hogsheads of Colonel Chitterwick's old brainbuster down at the Duck and Ring Peace Saloon and that prompted him to erect the monument. It was also rumoured that it was the only way he could find his way home after a soiree down at the aforementioned Duck and Ringpiece Saloon. And that leads us on to Lower Thames Street. A quick stroll down Lower Thames Street, or the Street of a Thousand Monkeys, as it was known in the 14th century, although the least said about that, the better. We're going to approach our penultimate stop on the tour, the Tower of London. The Tower of London, the home to King Henry III's polar bear collection in the 13th century, but later fell into a dilapidated state, and in the 15th century, it was later utilised by Premier Inn as an overflow to the nearby Duck and Ringpiece hostelry, which is why I mentioned that earlier. There are now over 500 Premier Inns around London, but here you will see the site of the original one, the Duck and Ringpiece on St Marriott Hill, plus the overflow at the aforementioned Tower of London. The group recently celebrated 450 years in business and are hoping to expand throughout the rest of the UK. Remember, if you stay at a Premier Inn, you're staying at a real piece of history, or in this case, a real ring piece of history. Disclaimer, this podcast is in no way endorsed by, sponsored by Premier Inn or Whitbread Limited. 
This is a work of fiction, any similarity to places, actual persons, living or dead, or actual events is purely coincidental. As I mentioned earlier, we finished the tour at St Catherine's Dock. Now she was the patron saint of fireworks and wheels. Here we can visit such establishments as Ping Pong, where once upon a time Thai entertainer Ying Luk Kak Kim plied her trade. Or the famous Dickens Inn, which was obviously named after the Canadian hockey defenceman and Stanley Cup winner Ernie Dickens. You can also enjoy a moosehead beer or two there and rest your weary feet after this tour. That's the perfect place to end this tour. It's quite a short walking tour. It can take you probably an hour, an hour and a half to fulfill this. But when you take your friends on this tour, you can now impress them with your insider knowledge of London. Walk like a local, talk like a local and act like a local. And who would ever know? You have no idea what you're talking about other than the information I've shared with you today. I might share some more London walking guides in future episodes too. These are well worth doing. And should you need a map of the route or any more information about this route, then email me at podcast42 at gmail.com. That's all one word, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-F-O-R-T-Y-T-W-O at gmail.com. There's always plenty to discuss about London, and I think I've given you a glimpse into one of the world's greatest cities and one of my favourite places. Okay, that's taken me back to a recent trip in London. I'm now out of the desert lair, and I'm back in the United States. Yes, that was recorded previously, and also the beginning was when I was back in the desert. Okay, this was a nice short, sweet episode. Definitely one tour worth taking if you're ever in London. How shall we finish this episode up? I know, let's have a quick random Spotify playlist, shall we? I like to include that one from time to time now. Let me see, just randomly open Spotify playlist, and what's the first song that we get? Oh, Daddy's Gone by Glass Vegas. There you go. I don't even know why that's on my playlist, but it's a good song, very Scottish. Oh, oh. <laughs> Next one. That's Daddy's Gone by Glass Vegas. Pause it to avoid copyright. Oh, next. I know what I'm here for. James, who'd have thought that I would have some James on my playlist? There you go. Next. Oh, Ahead of the Curve by Monsters of Folk. Monsters of Folk, great band. Some very nice, easy, relaxed music. I think I find I've done that, or done a version of that song on my Chris Gate YouTube channel. Next, please. Number four, Whipping Piccadilly by Gomez, a classic Manchester band. Check them out if you get chance. From the album Bring It On. Now last, number five, and this is genuinely completely, 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 completely random. Season two, episode three, by The Glass Animals. There you go. Another band I know very little about, but quite a decent track. There you go. I think that's actually a really popular TikTok song at the moment. No idea why it's on my playlist. But there you go. I like it. Okay, enough of that rubbish. That just about wraps it up for this podcast, I believe. Is there a joke to tell? Is there any more funny stories to tell? I'm sure there will be soon. Hmm, I know what I'll do. Maybe I'll do an excerpt from some strange recordings I found recently. Okay, I think I'll save that for after the closing credits. So just listen on, you never know what you might hear. Thanks for now.
Famous people performing Beatles songs. Number one. Trotsky performs She Loves You. Mexico City, November 1936. It's you she's thinking of, and she told me what to say. She says she loves you, and you know you can't be bad. She loves you, and you know you should be glad. She said you hurt her soul. She almost lost her mind. But now she says she knows. You're not the hurting kind. She says she loves you, and you know that can't be bad. Yes, she loves you, and you know you should be glad. Oh. She loves you, yes, yes, yes. She loves you, yes, yes, yes. With a love like that, you know, you should be glad. You know, it's up to you, I think it's only fair. Pride can't hurt you too. Apologize to her. Because she loves you, and you know that can't be bad. Yes, she loves you, and you know you should be glad. Oh, she loves you, yes, yes. Yes, she loves you, yes, yes, yes. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. <laughs> 